With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This is the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Goodison Park. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Royal Blue Podcast in association with Sport Pacer. I'm Phil Kirkbride, and today joined by Dave Prentice, Gav Buckland, and Chris Beasley. On today's podcast, we'll be talking about whether it's time to change formation in the hope of freshening things up. Michael Ball in today's column said Everton have gone stale. We'll be discussing Yannick Balassi. He's back at Everton, but for how long? Michael Silva, is he under pressure? I'll get the lads to give me their thoughts. And we'll discuss the latest in a series of daily comments from Sam Allardyce, who's blaming the players <laughs> for the style of play last season. All that and plenty more as we get our teeth stuck into the big talking points at Goodison. Preno, um, we'll start where we uh, where I introduced at the top there. Um, it doesn't appear at this stage that the team and the squad will be freshened up with any new, <coughs> new faces this month. I think Marco, again, making that abundantly clear after the game on Saturday that the club do not have the conditions to sign anybody. Michael Ball suggesting in his column today that it's time maybe then to change formation and shake things up because he says we're looking stale. I would agree entirely. It's that old definition of insanity, isn't it? You know, doing the same thing over and over again and expecting, you know, something different to happen. Uh, If we'd have seen sparks of, uh, you know, improvement in the last few games, you could argue a case for persisting with the same setup and the same players. But we haven't. I mean, uh, you know, you two guys were unfortunate enough to be down on the South Coast. I uh, I watched it on Match of the Day where they did a valiant job of uh, <laughs> portraying a match that looked re- relatively balanced. You know, um, Gilfie Sigerson had, you know, an effort that was clawed out. Look, when had a shot blocked. And, you know, but, you know, clearly that's what Match of the Day do. They try and make it look as, uh, as even as possible. Even the expected goals returned in Everson's favour. But, you know, reading your reports, reading the analysis, watching, you know, so all the comments on social media, clearly it was a very, very, very poor performance and thoroughly deserving of the defeat that it got. So if that was a one-off, yeah, okay, fine, stick with the uh, the players and the personnel and the formation that we've been seeing. But it isn't, you know, it's becoming a trend now. And so things do need to change. And for me, the absolute overriding change has to be playing Dominic Calvert-Lewin as a centre-forward and moving Richarlison back out to the left again. Whether that means Bernard making way or you know, Luckman making way, so be it. Uh, but we need more physical presence. We need bodies in the penalty area. That's what Calvert-Lewin does. Gav, we make no apologies for this being the 850th time we've discussed the centre-forward <laughs> issue um, since <laughs> yeah, the start yeah. of the season. But <laughs> it's not going to go away anytime soon. What does Marco have to do to revive this team and get us playing in a way like we were early in the season which made us watchable because we're yeah. not at the minute are we unfortunately no. you're talking about centre forward there now by the way well, yeah okay. and then- um, starting at the top I think if you go back to what I said at the pod last week or was it the week before is why don't we try Sigurdsson as, as a, a long silence as a, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> as, a, as, a, as a false number nine or whatever because right, it's not working at the moment. So from try something, if you want to try something different, try something different. Uh, and I think I'm playing with Charleston left and maybe Luckman right. Uh, because I think Sigurdsson is part of our problem 
in our Who biggest problem Tottenham? area. Who plays where Sigurdsson plays now? Let, Let me finish. Let me finish. You know, I've started, so I'll finish. Because uh, <laughs> pa- pa- like part of the part of the problem is, I think, with our midfielders, we don't play three in the midfield. We're effectively playing four-two-four most of the time, aren't we? With uh, Gomez and Guy and uh, as the two, and Sigurdsson basically playing just off the, the central striker. So I think if you put, and this is where the difficult bit comes in, if you put Sigurdsson as a false nine, it then gives us the freedom to either have a flat three as such in the centre midfield. And that could be McCarthy, Gomez, Guy, assuming he stays. Or, as Prano said, maybe give you the option in some games of playing Guy, Gomez and, say, Bernard, just behind the striker. Um, because I, I just think the midfield is our biggest problem. Really. We're, just, we're just playing two, and it's quite clearly in most games we're, we're getting, we're getting oh, not overdone, but we're certainly getting outmanoeuvred, aren't we? People just play through us, especially as Garner guys. This happens to just going on walkies, uh, and um, but that's part of his role, isn't it? Mike? That it is to win the ball, is win the ball back. That's his stats. Say that is to put fires out or that type of thing. But but that doesn't give us a disciplined edge. So us in the middle of the park. So that's what I do. And then at the back, I bring Mina in because we, we we spent fifty million quid, whatever. No, it's fifty seventy million quid on the Charles and Mina in the summer. Neither of them is playing in their preferred positions. In fact, one of them's not playing at all. So bring him in the team as soon as uh, with with Zuma, and that gives us the option of either not playing Keane or Coleman, or maybe playing even Keane at right back, which would not be the, the maybe the the interesting preferred solution. Uh, and that's what I do. I think you know take all that on board, but the the problem I, I see in that in Sigurdsson is. We've only just this season, so, I mean, if you look at his stats, I know you can make stats say anything, but he's actually got this record now of creating more goal-scoring opportunities from passes more frequently than anybody else in the Premier League. And his goals record has doubled from what it was last season. So we're starting to see a return from Gilfie Sigurdsson now by playing him in the position where he feels most comfortable, which is number 10. And I know the last couple of games we've seen a dip from him, but you know, even then he was denied by a good save at the weekend. Um, I, th- I think Sigurdsson is doing okay, and I think you'd lose what we've got back from him by playing him in a different position where, you know, yeah. he probably never played before. Leon accepted, well, wasn't yeah, he? Yeah, I mean, I, 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 I like Kissing on this, but I mean, I just think that, is he play, Is he a number 10? I don't see him as a number 10. I yeah. see him as a sort of... Number six. Dali Ali type where he just plays off the striker and just, yeah, just then there or thereabouts, you know? I'll come to Chris on this, but isn't that almost... I speak to Michael Ball about this actually yesterday. Isn't that almost where, where Richarlison would be best? I know we've seen him wide left a lot this season and he's played really well. But do you think you know the type of player that he is? Is he all, would you almost not think him just off a main striker is well, where we would get the best? Because he's not a number nine. Yeah. And is has he got the electric pace of a wide man? Probably not. He's somewhere in the middle, isn't he? Well, the, the only the only way you get around that, you probably have to play sort of like a four four two then, wouldn't you? With with Charleston playing off a central striker and six and one of the you know, and when you play four four two, one of your midfield players has effectively got to be a sort of box to box attacking midfield player. You yeah. can't have two defensive midfield players in four four two. Um and then so that would you so you're playing four four one one then, aren't you? Yeah. So that that would maybe you know, um sort of address that issue. But Sigurdsson for me is part of the problem. Is that if, if he's if He's not a third man in the midfield, is he? He's he's effectively a a, a second second striker, or as Penner would say, number ten. Yeah. And you just see the goals we can see like on on Saturday, he was just so open in that the centre of the park, and that that needs addressing. 
Um, and I, don't, I certainly think we need an extra body there. How you would do that, I don't know. Or play play four four one one. I think um, as both the the other panelists have said, I think Sigurdsson is at the heart of the issue through no fault of his own. But I remember Marco was saying to you, Phil, at the start of the season that four three three was that's my formation. He said that's the one I, I like to play. Yeah, he's 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 had to admit, isn't he, that they're not playing a true four three three because of Sigerson, because Sigerson would be part of that midfield trio, as you were. But in reality, it is the it's the four two three one which they've been playing under the previous regimes because Gilfie wouldn't <clears throat> fit naturally into that midfield trio the way Silva has described that he he would intend to play, and um, perhaps those further back aren't fulfilling the roles that the midfield pivot would be um, crucial for the way Silva would perhaps want to play, but maybe he thinks those further back um, aren't capable of doing that, so yeah, it is a dilemma. So, uh, just stay with you, Chris, I mean, yeah. could you see that situation there, Gav saying, play Sigurdsson as a number nine, a little bit like, dare I say, Liverpool would play Firmino, who isn't an out-and-out striker, obviously a bit more of an attacking sense, if you like, than Sigurdsson, who's more of a you know, more midfield slash forward. But could you see us trying that and then using, you know, two either side of Sigurdsson and then having an actual three there? Because things have gone stale, yet it is it is a quite a radical shout and it's not necessarily one I'd go along with, but I can see the argument that Gavin's um, putting forward um, for that. I, I think that the, um, the, the issue is more the deficiency at centre-forward. So in that respect, um, I would give... Um, Dominic Calvert-Lewin to go the way that Dave was saying there. Um, he's, he's far from perfect, but at least he's he's a young player with promise who actually will give you that physical presence mm. at centre-forward and probably be more like the centre-forward I would imagine Everton would try and go and get in the summer, so sort of bridge that gap. It was it was tough for Richarlison on Saturday, wasn't it? Yeah, it's, it's very much hit and miss with him. Um, I know you said he put in a real... Classic centre-forward shift the previous <laughs> weekend against Bournemouth. And OK, he didn't get his goal there, but you could see what he was doing. But I think when they play it into um, the channels where he's got um, space to run into, yeah, he, he can uh, he can be effective in that role. But when he's got his back to goal, playing, uh, it's almost, he's almost playing like Mark Hughes in his latter years at Everton when he came. <laughs> yeah. he, he was um, grappling with opposition centre-racing yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but you can remember that Mark Hughes, a fantastic player in his day, spectacular volleys, I mean, a great goal scorer. But by the time he came up to, to Goodison and was washed up, and I mean, the fans like appreciated his efforts, but I seem to just recall him of his back to goal nearly all the time, grappling with opposition centre-backs. I remember him blazing on margin yeah. at Goodison. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. at yeah. least he was up for the fight, and that's not Richarlison's game uh, Mark yeah. Hughes could look after himself and, he, and he'd relish that towards the end of his career but that's not what you want in Richarlison at 21 to be doing Indeed so plenty no doubt for Marco to think about ahead of a huge game on Saturday in the FA Cup against Millwall Breno is he under pressure? Um, he's under pressure to get results yeah but I don't think his job is under pressure I mean we've been down that road far too frequently now and I think you know Farhad Mashiri will accept that and I think that was a message he was trying to get across in the uh, in the general meeting albeit in a slightly more pointed fashion than maybe he intended um, things haven't been good enough therefore you know there is pressure on him to get results was it two wins in the last 10 and uh, you know the fixtures that are coming up there's a few winnable ones there but closely followed by some really really tough fixtures so yeah he does need to get results quickly just a to stop people talking about it and you know likening you know the the end of his 
spell at Watford, you know, which has similar parallels to how things are going now at Everton. Just to get everybody for, you know, forward thinking, it's why the FA Cup is absolutely enormous. You know, so Everton, if they can get through, beat Millwall at the weekend, which they should do, let's, you know, let's be serious about this. And I certainly don't want to see any nonsense about weakened teams because we're playing Huddersfield three days later. Uh, it's got to be, you know, a strong team. And then win that. And, you know, I know it's if, 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 but then, you know, a decent draw in the last 16. And suddenly, you know, everyone's, quite upbeat everyone's looking forward towards the end of the season whereas you know I don't even like to think about what might happen if uh, Everton go out at the weekend so yeah there's pressure there but I don't think it's pressure that were reflected in his job you know being under threat anything like that I think you know Mashiri and, and co have got a longer term plan than that Gav is, is, is Preno nailed that in, in terms of Marco's uh, situation yeah, yeah, I'd say pressure from fans, and I think that's quite rightly so, yeah. given the, the the recent performances. What the board's doing pressures, as Pano said, are slightly different. I think. Uh, um, I think we're going to talk about Sam later on, so I, I won't say. <laughs> but you know, there's a when he took over, the, the common common consensus was he's got a tough job here. Yeah. In terms of like you know moving people out, bringing people in, keeping the wage bill down. Make, maybe making profits on transfers, all that type of stuff. So he had the big job on and off the pitch with brands. So it's now what, in terms of playing, what are we three and a half, four and a half, four months into the season, five months into the season, something like that. It's still relatively, mm. you know, if, if you call it a project, <laughs> it's relatively early days, but a improvement, I think, is vital over the next uh, next month, encompassing the... FA Cup game, as, as Perno said on uh, on Saturday, and tomorrow home fixtures don't look uh, too too great. And bear in mind that's where we we, we picked up most of our points this season. Mm. It's at times like this where you need strong leadership, you know, right from the very very top. Um, you know, I know it's ancient history, but you know, you talk about you know the spells that Howard Kendall had before it all turned around, and there were some very 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 dire moments in that you know that era. You know, the five nil home defeat by Liverpool springs to mind. But equally, David Moyes. Uh, in more recent times, you know, had that very, very promising first full season and then an absolute disaster of an end to the following season. Uh, and 2005 six, you know, there was a really, really poor start yeah. to that season, uh, followed by, you know, real upturn where they were finishing fourth and fifth or fifth and sixth regularly. So, you know, it's up to the, the leaders at the very, very top of the club just to have faith, you know, just, you know, they appointed Marco Silva for a reason and give the guy a bit of time to do the job, the manner in which he wants him. There have been positives. The players he's brought in have been very, very positive. There were some very heartening performances, you know, pre the Anfield derby. I know we keep saying that, but there were signs that, you know, things were starting to improve. So, you know, just have the courage of your convictions. So, Pete, what was he going to do then to get us back to that that period, you know, Anfield derby performance, not result, and, and, that, and that sort of four or five week run where we, we started to look like a proper team, didn't we? And we were, as I said earlier, very watchable for the most part. Yeah, um, that was the period where um, Andre Gomez had just come into the mm. side. He was really blossoming. He looked like a, a breath of fresh air. And like we said, even Richarlson, whether he was playing centre-forward or left-wing, was doing the business. It, it, it all looked, I think they put a, a nice win, a run of about four wins out of five around yeah, that yeah, time, yeah. something like that. <clears throat> and it looked like things <clears throat> were starting to, to click. But that ultimately is, is the million-dollar question with Silver because it happened at Watford, it happened to a certain extent at Hull City, a, a bright start and everyone's excited about the type of football that they're playing, then it quickly t- tails off. I think this is where he's got to earn his corn and prove that he, he he's not just a, a, a short-term impact um, 
manager because we um, I think it's only at Estoril throughout his career. He's lasted more than one year. Obviously, Everton don't want that. Michael Silva doesn't want that. Certainly, given what's happened at the club the last couple of years, going through both Koeman and Allardyce last season, um, that stability is needed both for the manager and the club. So, whether it is a case of <coughs> radical tactical overhauls like Gaff's suggested or more subtle changes, I think the players just have to start believing in themselves again. It's it's that whole derby mentality again. They, they, they've choked at the end in, in the derby and rather than move on from that and get back to what they were doing, there just seems to be a really big hangover. Interesting that you mentioned Andre Gomez there. Yeah. What's going on with him? <laughs> I really don't know because of the last couple of weeks, it's been bizarre if I start first at the Bournemouth game for even get to Southampton. I mean, this, this silky smooth performer, I don't know if he'd had three Weetabix that morning or no. something, but um, he was like, a, he was a man possessed. I thought he was fortunate to stay on the pitch that mm. day in yeah. regards to not getting a red card the way he was. Um, but he did, you're right, he did look yeah. like we were seeing a little bit more of the old, the old mm. inverted commas Gomez. Yeah, he was, ha- he was having a go certainly, but then this weekend, what we saw, I mean, the one thing you take as a given with Andre Gomez is that he can pass a football, whether it's long range. And he won't or, give it away, but... yeah. yeah. He's giving it away in dangerous areas at St. Mary's. That crazy moment when 10 yards out, I don't know what he was trying to do when he attempted to clear the ball, but, you know, played a one-two off the, his own uh, John Pickford's left hand. That was post. class, that, though, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> maybe that was. Maybe yeah, it was a, yeah. a piece of uh, Gomez precision. I don't know. But then, yeah, obviously, uh, Marco Silva wasn't impressed because it just went bad to worse after the break. Everton 1-0 down, and he got the hook before the, the hour mark. And like I said in, at the time, I think it was a, an act of mercy from uh, the manager. Um Maybe, maybe he's just um, feeling a bit leggy at the moment because of he's not had a pre-season and he's not played through a, an English winter like this. But I, I asked that to Marco after the, the game, and he said, "No, I saw nothing in training to suggest that um, Andre wasn't fitting up for this game and that the fact that he was tired." So we can't even blame it on that. Um, it's a lot of love for Andre Gomez with the supporters; they've really taken him to heart. So it's it's not that respect that um, he's, he's feeling unwanted or the team aren't playing to his strength. So. Hopefully, um, whatever it is, he can get back to his best soon because it's not for the want of trying. It seems absolutely mad to even be asking this question, Preno. But does Marco need to take Gomez out of the team? Um, I might not do any harm just for a game or two. I mean, I accept the argument that you know there are no signs of physical tiredness in his game, but you can't really measure psychological tiredness. And this is a guy who has, as Chris mentioned, you know, hasn't had sustained period of football for quite some time. And let's face it, you know, in England, we do sustained football like nowhere else, um, certainly over the Christmas period. And I don't think it's any coincidence that his form has dipped as a result of playing, you know, games every three or four days in such a short period of time. Uh, possibly the uncertainty about his future. I, I suspect that's not such an issue, though. I think it is just possibly, you know, the intensity of the fixture list that he's being subjected to. And, you know, so hopefully maybe a, a game out. I mean, we don't know what he's going to do with his team for Millwall, for Huddersfield. But one game on the sidelines, just a little spell, rediscovering that sharpness, that appetite, might see a return to the form we were seeing prior to that because, you know, he's a classy performer, you know, so I love watching him play. And there's a footballer there that, you know, so Everton could do with. It must be, Gav, surely the, the, the sort of the, the sort of the big factor in this when you consider that Luca Dean also hasn't played through a winter of English football, yet he's coping admirably. It must be the lack of pre-season for Gomez. That must be the, that must be the thing, surely. 
pairing apples and pears with the positions on the centre midfield and said before his hardest position. But I'm talking about Luca Dean has shown a level of consistency which he's barely dipped. He's barely d- d- yeah. dipped. And whereas Gomez is in the last sort of four or five yeah, weeks has been. Yeah. I, well, left back's easy. Thought he was better left backs. Left back's easy position to play than, than centre mid. Centre mid, you'll get found out, won't you? Spoken like um, a true centre forward. Yeah, um, <laughs> but you know what I mean. Not no disrespect to fullbacks, but a centre mid is the pressure place to play on the pitch, isn't it? Yeah. Especially if you're new to English football, as Pano said, there's probably an intensity there that you don't get in in a league where you can just sit on the ball and. And, and, you know, and there's that that thing the, with the, La Liga where you'll play half the teams and half the teams with respect to. Yeah, aren't up to scratch. I yeah. won't give you a game. You know, play the same way. You know how they're going to play and stuff. So it's, it's completely different. But that, that ties my Pano's point. It is. A, it is. A, you know that that move is quite a, a big move to make in some respects, because um, your first five and six games it's adrenaline, isn't it? You know you're an unknown quantity. People don't know what to expect of you. And that's the opposition, you know. And but, but 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 for me, Gomez, it's it's not necessarily his fault. Is I wonder when sometimes he gets the ball on the pitch. What are his options? <laughs> there is, you know, is a, is a weekly moan from people around yeah. the press box. Certainly, it goes to movement yeah have have we got that you know and this is, goes back to what you were saying is there's that much money change people change positions week in week out there's no like pattern of play that you can sort of fit into and I think I think that contributes towards it I think he sometimes he's as good as the players plays around him you know and, and and when he first came to the team we had that and that sort of disappeared over the last month or so for me dare I say since the uh, since the derby mm-hmm. and not helped by the fact that I just don't think it's a natural partnership with the Jessica gay, you know, uh, for me. Uh, you, need to, you need to hold a midfielder who just sit tight and not move and, and, uh, to, to get the best out of him. Um, and pe- people now, and, and because of that, people will target him knowing that, you know, make sure he gives the ball to the Jessica gay or something like that because we know that we're not going to be in much uh, threat then. And I think he probably gets pressed a little bit more now, doesn't he, what he did when he first came. So there's, there's a few reasons then, rather than just his own performance, I think we need to uh, take, take account of. So on that, Gav, you're saying um, Gomez and Guy aren't natural no. bedfellows, so to speak. Who is more important to the long-term future of this project, to borrow the phrase that you borrowed earlier? Well, considering he's a better player and younger, it's Gomez, isn't it, surely? And so their voice this summer... Would the, would your summer mission be buy a hold midfielder and sell guy? Yeah, I've always said that for like all yeah. two years. You know what I mean? It's just uh, just as soon as we think, signed him, get rid of him. <laughs> no, I tell you what, it's just a kind of guy. There's many ways. The least of our problems, by yes. the way. You know, in terms of his performance, he's dipped the last couple of weeks, which there may be ulterior motives there. But this season, though, it's easy to moan about him and stuff, and I do. He has got attributes that are really welcome to the team, and, and in some respects, you know. He's been one of our better players week in, week out um, in doing what he, he does. The problem is that's a problem. It's what, what he can do. That's the issue for yeah. us in terms of us developing. And I think an ideal midfield would be, you know, hold a midfielder who could pass Gomez and maybe Sigurdsson, perhaps, but I've still got, still got concerns in that area. Um but, but certainly, Sickerts and Gomez and a holding midfielder would not be the worst uh, three we could have there. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. We spoke earlier in the podcast about Marco Silva 
trying to freshen things up. Well, how about Yannick Balassi? How about that way? Freshen things up, Preno. Unbelievable. <laughs> Shocked return. I don't think anybody saw that coming. Yannick Balassi has exercised an option in his deal with Villa. His decision to return to Everton. Um, we understand it that Everton were not ready to exercise their option. They weren't willing and prepared to do that. They were happy to leave him at Villa on loan for the rest of the campaign. And yet, as it stands, it looks like Yannick is back and attempting to fight for a, for a place that doesn't really seem there for him. It, it, it's an indication of how far the game has gone now in terms of players exercising all the power in football. Uh, you know, so players hold all the cards and, and, and do you know basically what they want these days. I mean, Balassi was deemed surplus to requirements. Uh, they couldn't get a permanent si- a permanent buyer for him, so allowed him to go on loan. And he's played, you know, relatively frequently for Aston Villa. But having said that, he's been hauled off an awful lot. And you get the impression that, you know, he's not really enjoyed his time there. And so, okay, fine, I'll just go back to Everton. But he knows he's not wanted at Everton. So, you know, why come back? It's all very well saying that, you know, I'm going to try and force my way into the first team picture. Marco Silva's made it perfectly clear there is no place for him. If you want to play football, you know, so carry on playing at Aston Villa indicates, a, I don't know, maybe a slight you know, defect in his character there. That You know, so he's happy just to come back. And, you know, so train, you know, pick up a very, very, you know, so significant salary and not play football. Uh, I just can't see him changing the manager's mind. Uh, I'm always brought to mind of um, what Howard Kendall said when uh, Mike Milligan uh, was deemed surplus to requirements. (laughs) I remember one of the press lads saying to him, you know, know, well, he doesn't want to go. So what are you going to do if he doesn't want to leave the football club? What did he say? When he's playing on a Friday night at Morecambe in the A-team, son, he'll want to go. <laughs> and, and he made it clear that, you know, so he wasn't part of his plans. And I'm not suggesting that Marcus Silva should be sending Yannick Balassi to play with the under-18s or the under-23s on a Friday night down in wherever, Barnet or wherever it may be. Uh, but, you know, you've got to have a fairly frank conversation and say, look, what are you doing here? You know, we don't see a long-term future for you. You want to play football? Why not stay at Aston Villa? It's a completely strange decision and uh, doesn't do Everton any good. I mean, Farhad Mashiri has already made it clear that, you know, there are financial, not constraints, basically he doesn't want to spend any more wages until some of this ridiculous wage bill is, is eroded and chipped away at. This just adds to it, you know, so instead of Villa paying some of those wages, Everton are now taking it all on board again. That's going to stop the possibility of Everton bringing somebody else in, you know, in the January transfer window even more. So it's, uh, it's not a very welcome development, shall we say. Bees, if you're Yannick, though, and you're watching Everton's recent run of form and the performances we've served up, are you not thinking, I could do better? Maybe that's what it is. In his mind, he's, you know, he's like all players will, he's backing his own ability and thinking on a bit of a sticky patch at the moment. Perhaps uh, I could provide answer, but there seems to be a big discrepancy between what maybe Yannick Balassi thinks he's capable of doing and what Marco Silva thinks and is um, prepared to do um, with him. It, it's already uh, quite a congested area anyway when we consider the the, the wide options that they've got. Um, for your, what Walcott can't get in the team at the moment and we're talking about giving somebody else a go up front. Um, Dominic Calvert-Lewin from the start, well, Rashad's and going back in a wide position as well. So, yeah, he's, he's, he's back in his own um, ability, but I, I think he could be very misguided in this unless he has got a... a another move lined up. I, I don't see uh, any future for him at, at Everton. 
I think the argument when he came in uh, for actually signing him for a fairly hefty transfer fee for yeah, a man of his age was that he gets Everton up the pitch, you know, and when they're playing a bit more direct, he's got the physicality and the pace, you know, to hold the ball up and get Everton playing football in the final third. But Marcus Silva doesn't play that way, you know, so he builds from his own goal line and tries to play, you know, through the lines. And, you know, is Balassi a player that can fit into that? I don't think he is. That's probably why, you know, he was deemed surplus to requirements. So I just don't see him fitting in at all. And it could just be another one of those players that's, you know, so sat there picking up a wage with absolutely no intention of being used. Come on, Gav, make a case for Yannick. Come on. (laughs) 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 Um, Make a case. Uh, Well, he said about making tactical chairs. was your first question, wasn't it? (laughs) You can't, can you? (laughs) Well, he can't. He can't otherwise what his own motivation is. You know, and it could be that actually he, he could be motivated to get back into the team, and that's not maybe not the worst thing in the world. But as as B said, you know, you know, it's not as exactly be shortage of you know we're looking to of left left side attackers at the moment. We're looking to you know, lose people from that position, aren't we? Then moving them to centre forwards rather than playing them there. So the case for him is not for him per se. It's the fact that we've got loads of players in that area already. Uh, and that's that's why you can't really see a place for him. I'd, I'd like I'd like to have been in uh, flying the wall in Marcel Brand's office when he found that piece of information out. By the way, you know, uh, it reminds me of that Sunderland till I die documentary. Yeah. Remember when um, Jack Rodwell was sat there with uh, Martin Bain, the chief exec, and he was basically trying to force him out of the club. Yeah. You can imagine a similar situation. Yeah. Like, why? Why are you coming back? Yeah. And, uh, in many ways. Balassi is that that symbol of that like 2016 excess, isn't it? That we've got causing you know. Is, is Yannick and, and the, you know this is it, it's it's not through any, any particular fault of his own if if this is to happen. But does he is he almost now running the risk of becoming the poster boy for that? And 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 I mean that, and it's not his fault, but because he's he's the one player that has been told you can go out on loan, you you deem surplus the requirements. He's chosen to come back. Yeah, I'd say yes, but the, the factor in his injury. Yes, he had a bad injury, and as he had a bad injury, which what when if you get that in your sort of mid late twenties, yeah. you know, twenty eight, twenty seven was he something yeah, like he's that? Twenty nine now. Yeah, yeah twenty seven. Say when he got that, if you get that at twenty seven, a bad injury like that, yeah. then you, you you really, you know, you you really run on the risk of of not getting back to your former uh, former self, and and I think. Uh, if he wasn't injured, I'd say perhaps the poster boy, but actually he's has got a bit of uh, mitigation, hasn't he? Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah. With that think, bad injury. And the club are unlucky there, by the way. Yes. Yeah. Do, do you mean, think that the knee injury actually has affected him more than we thought he would have done? I think a style of play, yeah, definitely. He, re- he relies on that. Explosive pace, yeah, yeah, and I think yeah. it, at that age, 21-22, you're okay. 27, mm, slightly different to kettle of fish. And I think in judging him and... We need to take that into account. Mm. Can we actually say we saw that much from him pre-injury, though, that suggested well, he was ever worth you know that sum of money? I can I remember was, a couple of appearances, mm. you know, crosses to the far post for Lukaku, but you know, n- not many. I think perhaps certainly on a personal level, I perhaps saw more good in him than others because I remember when the, the deal for him to go to Villa was announced in August, and we were actually in Bournemouth ahead of the game down there, and I, and I innocently tweeted, "Sad to see Yannick go." Thought he, you know, on his day could make an impact and could be useful and my word did I get shouted down <laughs> <I was> going, <laughs> wow uh-huh. 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 Yeah. yeah seriously yeah. so yeah. yeah in terms um, of you know taking a dipstick of, a, of the sentiment you know yeah 
which is quite sad in a way because um, he was quite a player I was looking forward to see playing for Everton, mm. mainly because normally when he played against it's us, good, he, uh, yeah. he, he ripped us apart, didn't he? A couple of times at Goodson and at Anfield as well. Um, but that injury, you know, and, and I feel I feel a bit of sitting, you know, wages notwithstanding, I feel a little bit of sympathy for him. Basically, before we uh, finish today's podcast, Sam Allardyce has been on the airwaves again. Um, first this morning, claiming that there was some interest in Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang and then decided that probably we wouldn't have been able to afford him anyway. So. I think he's been on the mind-inducing drugs again. I don't know about... Uh, <laughs> which was, which was interesting, obviously, saying that in uh, last January, obviously, Jenk Tosin came in, but Aubameyang had been mentioned, So, but obviously he went to Arsenal. But early in the week, um, as I'm sure many of you have read, he effectively put the blame for last season's style of play, which he has previously refuted was anything was wrong with it and now seems to accept that it was wrong. Uh, at the players' capabilities, bees, he's saying yeah. that the players were only capable of playing a certain way, and he got the best out of them. No, no, um, <laughs> we, we've we've seen that, that the way they played before Sam came in, and obviously under Cooman was fairly effective for, for the first season, and then fell off a cliff at the second season when he when he uh, lost Lukaku and was able to replace him. But there was plenty of talent in there, and. The players who've, who've come in since, yeah, I think Everton was actually a, a massive opportunity for Sam Allardyce uh, at the, towards the end of his career to, um, to come to a bigger club and show that he could play a more expansive style of football because he had players he perhaps not worked with in the past. And the fact that, bizarrely, after that first week in charge and back-to-back home wins, obviously the last one was under Unsworth, but then Sam came in for the, the Huddersfield game, this um, team heading for relegation was suddenly in the top half of the table. So given that they got themselves safe relatively quickly from any realistic relegation danger, there's a chance to take the shackles off and play a more expansive style of, of football. And he said to me when the first time I, I'd seen him last January that, believe me, the length of my contract isn't going to determine my, the length of my stay at Everton. It will be two factors. One of them is results and the other one is entertainment. And whereas you can say, yes, I got the results eighth in the table, um, entertainment-wise, uh, cer- certainly not those games last season. Where so many of them are just unwatchable. So, no, I, I don't think you can blame the players at all. No, he's, he's been down this road so many times at so many clubs. Nothing is ever Sam Allardyce's fault. You know, it's always somebody else to blame. And, you know, to pick players like Wayne Rooney, Gilfie Sigurdsson, Theo Walcott, who he brought in, and claim that they're not capable of playing a more expansive style of football is a bit of a misnomer. I mean, those stats that we frequently portrayed right at the end of the season, after he, he arrived in November, and, you know, he was there for like, you know, six months. They were 20th in the table uh, for shots at goal, 20th for shots on target, uh, 19th for chances created, 13th for possession. You know, all all the markers that indicate attacking football, Everton were bottom of the table for. Some of those games were abysmal. You know, the West Brom goal of straw, uh, the goal of straw against Liverpool when he claimed that we'd subdued the threat of, you know, so Mo Salah and uh, Sadio Mane who weren't actually playing. Um, You know, it it was just, it was just, it was just madness. And this isn't the first time that he's actually blamed players. Remember Watford away uh, where Everton lost and he turned on the players and said, don't blame me for players not being able to pass the ball to each other. But, you know, you can't keep passing the book all the time. He does have qualities as a manager. I mean, Sunderland, you know, so they love him up there. You know, apparently it wasn't just the results that, you know, uh, 
got him admirers up there was the fact that they played some decent football as well. And clearly at Bolton, you know, he, he was a mm. major success there. But plenty of other football clubs, he hasn't. He's been pragmatic. He's been functional. And totally what Chris says, that this is a great opportunity for him. Uh, it's a, okay, you know, it's all the safe. Let's see what you can do as a coach. Let's see how, you know, adventurous you can be. Let, you know, get the fans on your side. And he didn't. He turned them against him. Gavin, I'm not saying that this one player is the answer. And obviously, you know, I want to stress that. But does, does Sam's argument there about it was the capability of the players, did it fall down when he was the one that ultimately said to Adam Ollerkman, yeah, you can go to Germany? Yeah, yeah. Two things I'd say. Uh, the first thing is, if Sam was a, a naturally a manager who played expansive, good attack on football, and then came to Everton and played like we did last season, and then made that argument, you'd probably say, well, actually, maybe there's a bit of something yeah, in there yeah. in Sam Laxley, because we don't normally associate this type of play with you. The fact that actually, you know, maybe Bolton in the last years aside, that actually Everton played last season, like basically every Sam Allardyce team I've ever, I've ever seen play in my well, life. Sam says that's so, a lie and a falsehood. Yeah, so, so <laughs> you know, indicates to me that actually, no, I don't, I disagree with you. I disagree with you there, Sam. I think you're making the players scapegoat unfairly because that is your style of play. Mm. Um, that's the first thing. The second thing is going back to Luckman, is he said on on Sunday uh, about uh, Marco's look. He's got his own team. I I didn't and and and, and said uh, there was only three or four players who were sort of my players on on, on Saturday. Well, I counted six. Yeah, one of whom was Luckman, who Sam let go. And and three substitutes came on. Who were all Sam's play? Who were all, all Sam Sam had the Ben Marcos players? And, and it was just that was just a, that was just a, it was factually incorrect by some distance. And the problem you get then is with people like Sam, who I I didn't have a problem being managed with, it, you know, uh, when he was appointed. Is people outside of the support who actually know, know the you know the facts and stuff will will lap it up, won't they? We'll take that as red. And that it was, annoys it was, me it was intensely. Yeah. It's factually untrue, yeah. and you know, and and that's what you know. That's what um, I was really. I was going to say something else there. Disappointed with <laughs> with that because that's just you're just insulting the supporters. Then. Yeah, yeah, oh, well, yeah. Well, you he, know. well, in that respect, he's got nothing to lose, has he? Because well, he's because because every supporter, almost to a man, doesn't speak well of him, do they? Well, it's just okay. Extend that. You're just insulting the club, then. Okay, fair enough. Yeah. Aren't you? Because he's actually effectively telling lies. Again, and but then is he, he's probably bitter, isn't he? Well, the, the, I've not got a problem being bitter, but get your facts out if you're yeah. going to be bitter. Yeah, he actually things. used the word bitterness. But the yeah. thing that, I mean, many things that, you know, so jarred in that interview. But the one about um, the fans almost had an agenda against him from the start. And I've got my suspicions about that, but I'm not going to publicly divulge yeah. them. What on earth does that mean? What, what are those suspicions as to why the fans, you know, so didn't take to me? <laughs> you can imagine Sam having a, a Bielsa type spy yeah. in the Bullens Road stand, yeah. you know, like <laughs> trying to find out what people are saying. And I, I just, it, it come, you come, you know, you come across really from my perspective, and I, I'm not necessarily one who can, as you know, like I tend to try and have a balance about things. I just found the whole thing mm. wrong, you know, some of the things he said. And um, I, I just felt that it, to say, oh, three or four players, you know, I, you know, Marco had his own team. No, he didn't. He had most of yours, Sam. Yeah. Plus, yeah. Sam by saying, "Oh, Marco had his own team," he's making it sound like he didn't make any signings. Yeah, yeah, he had three. Yeah, well, that's the Obama young thing, you know, which you know you might want to talk about, you know, this morning. Saying, "Oh, they, they'd already spent the money." Well, unless I'm very much mistaken, Sam, didn't you buy two players for? 47 million quid. I'd be a Tosum has probably done deal before the January transfer window, but 
there's so many things he said, and as Penner said before, and he said before about us and about his time here, which I've not got a problem criticising the club if they're factually correct. I have mm. a problem if they're factually incorrect and he's got no evidence to back it up. And this whole week that he said he's had two or three interviews or whatever, there's not one you know, set of evidence to, to back up his claims. Other than the one thing that I was going to say is, has he, you know, the players that we've inherited from Sam, have you seen anything from them this season to say they couldn't play an expansive brand of football? Which is a different question altogether, isn't it? Which takes us back to uh, the start, doesn't it? Indeed. I mean, we've talking about Marco. What what this shown to me this season? I'm, I'm yet again. Michael Ball said the same thing mm. last night. Is is what happens when the play? You know, if you inherit a, not a great group of players and you're relying on your new players to come in and play really group, well, yeah. if they lose form, you've then got a problem. You go back to where you were. You know, yeah. and and I think that's pretty much where Marco is at the, this moment in time, and goes back to this rebuilding thing and by why he needs time is because the players under Sam and under him, with two or three exceptions, maybe Keane, maybe Pickford, Gilfie, you know, are probably not what we want to take things forward mm. to me, fans and Mercedes' expectations. So, indirectly, one thing what Sam said was probably true mm. to a degree. Interesting. Well, thank you very much, chaps. We will wrap it up there. Uh, you've been listening to the Royal Blue Podcast in association with Sport Pacer. And please, you can uh, rate, review and subscribe to us on iTunes and Acast. And please do leave your comments. All very much welcome. You've been listening to the Royal Blue Podcast in association with Sport Pacer. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.